Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. And this is Trav. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast where ludicrous amount of damage is just not enough. Or as Hannibal said in the A-Team movie, because sometimes overkill is underrated. This week we are talking about nuking it from orbit, or you know, anything uh, of equivalence. <laughs> and when does it happen? Why does it happen? And what are our options? Because nukes aren't the only thing we can do. We're using nuke as a general all-purpose blanket term here, folks. Right, because everybody's seen, you know, uh, aliens. I haven't, but okay. Yeah, I just... Oh, okay, because that was, that was the bit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know of the Alien franchise through pop culture references. The movies are just not my thing. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think if you watched it, I think you would disagree. I think you would really like it. Uh, I'm not talking about the first one. I'm talking about the second one because it's really uh, it's really an action compared to the horror of the first one. But, anyways, yeah. back to our topic. Uh, in the uh, game Bureau 13 where you have agents versus the supernatural um, – you like to refer to these kinds of situations as Omega-level events. Do you want to talk about that? Okay, Omega, of course, we know it's the last letter in the Greek alphabet, meaning the end. I use it as, this is the type of threat that if the Bureau is going to deal with it, they're going to have to bring everything they have on the table to the fore. And there is also a good chance that if the Earth survives, the Bureau is going to be outed. That's also why I came up with the concept for Bureau 13, which we've talked about previously here on the podcast, of Omega-level teams. Teams that the agents are augmented and they have incredibly high technology. Team Candlestick would be the example that I have for an Omega-level team. The members are basically just this side of superheroes because they're dealing with those type of threats. They're not going to deal with the ghost haunting a house. They're going to deal with, how did I put it? Oh, you have an alien invasion, a demonic invasion from another dimension, and a plague, an interstellar plague that's coming in. Okay, call them in. Yeah, there, there's a, uh, a hell gate you know, in a cavern underneath the town. Well, there, I mean, depends on, you know, maybe an X team could handle that because I, I do the gradation as you have your normal teams. Then you have your X teams are the ones who are combat specific. And then you have the Omega level teams and the Bureau might have three or four, depending. And as I said, Candlestick, I've made into one of them and they are featured in Bureau 13 OGL, so... But yeah, it just omega level threats are just the ones that you you need everything. Right. And and like I said, if the earth survives, there's a very good chance that the bureau would be automatically outed because like wait a minute, where'd you get that device from, that vehicle? <laughs> or why do we have starships in the air and they destroyed everything? Funny story. <laughs> it all starts with President Lincoln. Yeah. So exactly. So uh, we're talking about you know situations that are so intractable that you have to use basically uh, you have to pull out all the stops and and nothing is uh, not disposable. You know the people, the land, you know the uh, municipality, even the country. You know might have to go away in order to survive never mind just put things back the way they were survive so some of the examples from movies is pretty much every time godzilla shows up yeah okay you know because first of all uh nuking in only one movie did i uh had they ever said that nuking godzilla would actually do the job and that was like the latest one that came out 
um, or maybe it was two ago, where he was started off as kind of like this big, this big four, you know, uh, so uh, four legged lizard that slowly mutated uh, over time into the full blown Godzilla we all know and love. And they said that you know we can destroy it, but we'd have to use a nuke and we you know to blow it apart because even you know no 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 living creature could take that much radiation and such you know and, yeah you know verse versus earlier versions where Godzilla was a lizard that got turned into Godzilla because he was right next to a nuke that went off so you know it's it's very but the saying the 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 standard Godzilla where he just basically says <laughs> that was nice you know, explosion, you know, nuke, okay. Or, you know, uh, you know, uh, the Battlestar Galactica, they hit the Battlestar with some nukes. You know, it survived. <laughs> I was a little surprised at that, but, you know, hey. Uh, the Avengers, of course, in the most le- recent stuff that happened, you know, they you know they they know that if they fail, terrible things are going to happen. So, uh, and they even uh, were being nuked. Uh, in the first episode, in 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 the movie The Avengers, by the same name, somebody sent a nuke to take out the uh, battlefield. Yes, yeah, which I thought was highly over, you know, uh, a little bit too much. But uh, hey, you know, they couldn't see any way of stopping them if they didn't do that, and that's why it happened. You know, the, the the old thing of the nanobot, you know, gray goo, you know, where it's just spreading out ever further and nobody knows how to stop it because it's already, you know, bombing. It's not going to take it out, you know, as far as like conventional flamethrowers aren't going to work. You can't cut it up. It just keeps growing and growing and growing. Something the size of a nuke, blast area, everything else might be necessary to take it out. And of course, uh, if there's a portal to some that's in one location and it's going to some place where they're bringing through an armada or something and uh, you can't take it out any other way or you, you need to take out not only the portal but also all the things that are coming through, you know, the threat that's building by the second, well, you might need to do a nuke. Or, you know... My favorite, you know, the, the 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 one step back from that, the fuel air bomb. Ah, uh, yes. Because in the movie, uh, con- was it Contagion uh, with Dustin Hoffman? Outbreak. 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 They used that to take out a whole town. Oh, oh no! I remember the seeing the beginning where it's all quiet in the jungle, and all of a sudden that explosion hit. Yeah. And just it was funny because my now late stepdad set up the surround sound, and I didn't know it. He, he hid the speakers well, and that bomb went. Up. Almost knocked me out of my chair. I was just, but it it was that just sudden where it was just desolation afterwards. All right. And and when you talk to me about a fuel air bomb, I remember that scene. I go, okay, that's kind of what he's referring to. Yes. Mm-hmm. So th- those are some some examples I came up with. Can you think of any more? Uh, of course, they, they had that whole thing with um, the monsters that were coming up out of the crack. Uh, in the ground, uh, in the ocean, and they they made uh, big uh, giant robots to fight it. Pacific Rim, Pacific Rim, and the sequel to it, yeah, yeah. I kind, of, I would kind of lump that in with just Godzilla, basically kaiju. I right, the term, yeah. Uh, and, that, and I didn't World understand why they did. They yeah, War of the Worlds, sure. Yeah, so basically, ma- yeah, massive alien invasions, massive, you know. Dozen story high creatures. Yeah, our ability to defend ourselves is going to be exhausted so quickly that you have to basically strike hard, fast, and with no reservation if you want to have any chance of resolving it in the favor of humanity. And there is going to be collateral damage. We already know this. We accept it. Lots of we, it. We we wipe out a million people to save all seven billion. Yeah. And basically, somewhere in here, you got to lay some blame. Because this didn't just happen. It happened for a reason that, these, that this situation got this bad. I know. I, I know why. And it's the same usually in a lot of movies. And you'll agree with me when you think about it. It was that one scientist nobody listened to. Mm-hmm. Think about it. Yeah. It's all in, in all these movies, there's the one scientist. Everybody sees who's crazy. And then when it happens... And thankfully, these scientists are usually like they're just they just jump in and solve the problem. 
I think they should start having these scientists just about two minutes of I told you so. <laughs> yeah, just like, see, yeah, you know, we could have done this if somebody had listened to me. I wonder who, General. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. It'd be cute to see. I mean, usually the scientists are like, nope, we're just going to go and solve the problem. I'll deal. And they, you know, you assume that they deal with the I told you so after the movie's done, but. Yeah, usually there's this knowing look between the general in his blues standing there on the on the pavement outside the uh, you know the, the 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 sleazy apartment that the scientist is forced to live in because nobody will give him a decent job, and he just looks and goes, uh huh, <laughs> yes. Or there's that moment where you know there the, what I call the kissing up scene where the sci- where the, the the general goes. Oh, God, this guy was actually right. We have to actually say this to him. Let's hope he's not a jerk about this and helps us out. (laughs) Right. So uh, some of the reasons why you get to this situation, you know, and it seems like you should have been able to stop it is because, for example, it's a plague. And uh, it's, you know, they, they don't realize how bad it is like in the movie um or in the also in the stephen king novel uh the stand captain trips they thought it was bad flu because when they first got it they went through all the symptoms of flu and then they started getting better but in fact is, is that the disease was getting more entrenched in their bodies and so when it came back it came back with a vengeance and that's and during that period of time people were like they they were they started they got up they started moving around they were super contagious they basically spread it everywhere so when it basically the second round hit it just killed people by the, the hundreds of thousands so that's what, you know, sometimes, you know, you, all of a sudden you realize, oh my gosh, this is a lot more serious than we thought. We've got to do something and we got to do it now or we won't be able to do anything at all. Yes. So if, if, for example, this had happened in, you know, let's say L.A. and and people had realized it, then they could have nuked L.A. But, you know, but of course, in the, in the TV, in the in this book and the series, it didn't happen that way. Um uh, and a lot of times these things happen because you don't you don't you didn't identify the danger, you know. Uh, all most of the disaster movies recently, you know, crack in the earth, uh, earthquake, ten point oh. I, I watch these sleazy, uh, uh, you know, B rated you know, more than B rated uh, uh, disaster films. I think they're hilarious, you know. So even the Smithy Awards wouldn't touch them. Yeah. So oh, the. Le- that's bad. Right, the latest one was um, uh, was this. They say earthquake 10.0, and what we had was is that we had uh, it, it was happening in the San Andreas. This was as a result of fracking, and they were getting these little micro um, uh, these these little micro earthquakes. And I mean, and when I say that, I mean they were affecting areas, causing cracks in the earth. And things like that, and it was it was going on, and everyone was saying, "Okay, yeah, we can deal with this. We, we we'll handle this. We're getting some some damage, but you know, we're we're standing up to it." And the and the and the crazy scientist, the one you're talking about, is like, "No, look at the pattern. Okay, it's cracking in ever large circling areas. What you have here is you have a weakening of the Earth's crust, and it's going to get so big that suddenly it's going to fall in like a caldera." And you're going to basically lose the entire south of of uh, California. So they don't realize how bad it is until too late. Yep. Now it's not the and and, uh, and by the way they 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 did nuke that one. They uh, they basically had to uh, explode uh, something to cause the middle of it to break free so that the outer part of it would still be able to hold itself together. So yeah, they, oh. they, they actually did. It, it wasn't a nuke, but it was it was similar to that. They basically set up a big explosion in the epicenter to like basically say, "Do finish the job, and stabilize everything." So yeah, that's they noticed. They they figured it out time because if they hadn't, it just would have kept going. But that's and yep. that's what they did. Sometimes you have in the case of these like super powerful creatures like godlike psychic powers and things like that they have defenses that have to be activated you know and you have to, and so if you you have to sneak the nuke 
onto their spaceship or something else and only at the last second do they suddenly realize wait you know what are you hiding oh kind of like um they did it in man of steel where they had the the phantom drive and the soldier played by chris maloney had to fly the craft in and it took out the world engine that was in Metropolis. So, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, and like uh, they did in Independence Day, the first one. Oh, okay, yes. Yeah, because yes. they, they snuck the virus in. You know, and no, nobody realized at the last minute they opened up the the the, 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 the blinders, the screen, you know, the shields to the control room and they're smoking their cigars and everything <laughs> starts falling apart. But there was one where they, you know, they, they, they basically they got the villain dialoguing as the bomb counted down until finally he's like, what are you hiding? You're hiding something. And then he goes and he suddenly looks over at this like innocuous suitcase that they brought in, a Snoopy, you know, and goes off before yeah. he has a chance to erect his defenses. Because, of course, he had defenses sufficient for any normal person, but not against a nuclear blast. You know, he thought he was safe inside his impenetrable fortress or spaceship. So sometimes you have to do it that way, too. You know, you have to surprise it. Sometimes, I, this is more of a situation where you're covering up something. Ah, yes. You're using a, a you know, like a nuke or something to sterilize the area, but mostly you're trying to hide evidence of something else going on that you don't want anyone to know about. Like you said, sometimes, you know, the Omega level event, by treating it surgically like this, you basically end up, you know, hiding the evidence from the people that would then say, oh, there's a, there's, this is something supernatural is going on here. You know, the, you know, the agency is fighting it and they used a nuke to stop it. But you're like, well, no, we don't know who, who attacked and what had happened and a nuke went off and and nobody knows what happened because now of course everything is gone yeah i'm, I'm seeing that that might have been where you were going with that yeah and you also had how to go about doing it yeah in fringeworthy you launch it from the system platform which means you know it could be from, oh, near the moon or near Mars. or Well, probably the moon or Mars would be your two closest. Maybe Venus. It varies on the solar system. You, you know, yeah, you. yeah. And with Bureau 13, of course, you have plenty of options. Teleportation, flight, time travel, the weapon. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. What are you doing? We're sending it back two days. What do you mean? It'll be there before they get there. Problem solved. <laughs> right. Or the other way around where you basically want it to appear at a location where the Earth moving through its orbit around the sun, basically you time travel it. It doesn't actually move in space. It just moves in time and therefore it's on another part of the world. Boom, it goes off. Nobody sees it coming because it literally didn't exist a second ago until it appears. Ah. So it's it's uh it's, it's really tricky. You take there's a lot of math involved in that one. Yeah, Ma making yeah. sure that you appear where you need to appear, and especially if they have things like their impenetrable shields and things like that, that you can't possibly get through. But yes, you can you know, teleporting and materializing it inside that area through some kind of a spatial discontinuity. You can uh, you can you can do that. So. If you want to, like, you know, get some of these weapons up in the air so they fall on the opponent rather than seeing where they're coming from, you know, like, you know, you know, if if you have to take out, let's say, um, I don't know, one of the satellite countries of uh, the, the previous Soviet Union, you don't want it precipitating World War Three. No. So you, that's what I'm saying. Where you want to hide the how you're. You know who did it. You're going to have to like make sure this kind of drops out of nowhere. You know, so flying it up in the, uh, up, so it drops down, or it seems to come from a different trajectory, or something like that. Even coming to apparently coming from the mother country, you know, uh, Soviet Union, uh, that could that could precipitate and not only uh, it would solve the problem, it could also precipitate a revolution and the um, and you know and, and a breakdown of the Soviet Union or whatever other empire you're you're also dealing with it's always good for they don't know where it came from 
Yes. Yes. Yeah. So uh, those those were a couple of examples there. Um, uh, it does, and of course, it doesn't have to be either of those two games. I mean, if you're playing a space game where you know you have people you know going to a world, you want to do something like this. Then, if you have you know the ability to be very high altitude or in space, uh, then you know as we all know, stuff stuff falling from orbit is very you know after a certain size is really devastating. Again, the scene from the second GI Joe movie with the tungsten rod destroying London—that uh -huh. is probably the best best example we can give these people. Look it up on YouTube, and yeah. Just dropping something from orbit. If it's big enough, it's a city killer. You know. Well, if you've read the um, uh, the the Red Mars, uh, Green Mars, Blue Mars series by Kim uh, Robinson, um, at the end of the first book, uh, they have a, um, uh, a beanstalk going up. You know, out of you know, yes. and it's how they get get most of their supplies in and out and somebody breaks the beanstalk and when it first starts falling it falls down and lays on the ground but as it keeps going and picking up more and more orbital velocity then when it hits the ground it's like causing fractures in the crust at the end it's basically like a line of nuclear explosions going oh. as as it as the the end of it snapping down and it's like cracking like a whip almost. Yeah, 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 and I mean, and it's moving many times faster than the speed of sound. Uh, so yeah, um, and it just does just tremendous amounts of damage uh, to the ground, and, and anything that's in its way is just gone. Yeah. Let's say the bad guy or girl was up at the top, and you basically cut them loose at the top. They did to uh, the hero's wife in oh in Total Recall in the remake. Where they basically said, "He said, bye, honey." As as the um, the thing that went all the way through the center of the earth started dropping back down toward the center of Earth with her on the top of it. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of like what I'm talking about. Where you know, you've got maybe 15, 20 seconds before life is not worth living, and you're not going to live anyways. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's um, and if you've got something, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm pretty sure that. Uh, 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 that Thanos, if he had been hanging on the top of that uh, uh, <laughs> that thing, he would not have survived the landing uh, any more than anybody else would have been able to, you know, because that was some serious, serious damage. Sometimes, sad to say, sometimes nukes are are a cost-effective measure <laughs> because we have World War II as a good example. They firebombed. Tokyo and uh, a lot of Japan for like a, a solid week. And then they were prepared to bring in how many hundreds of thousands of troops on aircraft carriers to finally go and pacify the the islands. Oh, the uh, island hopping campaign in the Pacific, yes. Well, I'm just talking about when they finally came into the Bay of Tokyo and they and they and, and they just started firebombing the entire city and and the government said, we're not giving up. No, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with this. Because they had bunkers and things like that. And they were prepared to deal with this. And they were willing to, to, to fight tooth and nail until, you know, until finally they were rooted out. And then we dropped two nukes. Yeah, Fat Man and Little Boy on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, yes. And everybody went, oh, we can't, we can't beat this. We can't fight this. And the next day, the emperor's like, we surrender. Yep. So sometimes dropping a nuke is actually a cost-effective way of, of winning a war. Well, yeah, because if anything, it's it's along the lines of you. They they did what? <laughs> okay, yeah, no, we didn't think they'd go there. All right, these people are crazy. You don't fight crazy people. That doesn't end well for you. We're done. And that's when you, if you can, you run for the hills. <laughs> yeah, you start reevaluating them like choices you made. Yeah, yeah we're going to, uh, we're, this is going to be a long campaign of uh, resistance and such, but we are not going to go face to face with this anymore because it's just yeah. pointless. Uh, and that's probably what, what would have happened if uh, they, uh, in, in Pacific Rim, if they had failed to stop them. What are our options for nuking? We, we already mentioned two. 
Now, and again, it says nuking is just a term that means total destruction, you know, of a, on a massive scale with a massive amount of, of, of not just damage, but also um, uh, systems destruction, whatever they may be, government, communication, yeah, um, all those things. Okay, so what, what are our options here? Well, obviously, the nuclear or atomic or hydrogen weapon or a fuel air bomb. Right. Uh, do you want to explain that concept again for people? Because we've talked about it a lot. Oh. And I I joke around, you know, the patented Bruce Shepard fuel air bomb that you throw through a fringe portal. Well, yeah. And the reason we can throw it through a fringe portal is because it actually will work on the other side where a nuke wouldn't because the nuke's material would have turned into lead. But uh, but the, what goes in a fuel? So what we have here is we have basically uh, two explosions. We have one explosion whose sole purpose is to spread uh, some uh, a flammable mixture of gases as wide as possible. Okay, in like tiny droplet form, atomized, and then the second one is a very high temperature explosion, tr which attempts to ignite all of that gas simultaneously the resultant boom basically causes a shock wave uh, that goes off from that that is just you know it's like the, you saw the uh, uh, the YouTube videos of the uh, uh, explosive factory going off just everything within usually a quarter mile mile whatever just is de is destroyed i mean it has the same thermal aspect of a nuclear bomb immediate up the shock wave that goes after that knocks down buildings explodes glass yeah so you're not only getting light and heat from a combustion in the explosion you are getting pure concussive force on a rarely experienced level Right. So yeah. you know, it has the same damaging effect of a nuke without the after effect or the immediate effect of radiation and radiation fallout, what have you. Yes. However, it, it's not small. Uh, these are these are large uh, bombs because they, they're like I said, they're, they have a lot of fluid in them that they have to disperse. So uh, it's it's usually uh, you think of what how big Fat Man Little Boy was. These are bigger than those were. So. Ah. You know, so it, it's a it's not it's not a, uh, a space effective, but um, it's something that again you don't have to have nuclear material in order to pull it off. So that you know gives you a lot of. It's the phrase from SLJ, and I will clean it up when you have to kill every MF in the room. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was thinking about uh, Back to the Future. Oh, I'm sure that, you know, in in uh, in your time, you can buy new, uh, plutonium at the corner drugstore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, I mean, the, the materials for making a few air bomb are, you know, uh, are, are possible to get. You know, just like, you know, Timothy McVeigh's, um, yeah. uh, you know, fertilizer bomb. I mean yeah. that was not high tech. I mean that, no, but that it was not. That no, was but that was, was a guy who knew how to use it. Well, because he was trained by the military as an EOD. So yeah. Right. Um explosive ordnance disposal for Right. Yeah. But yeah, and that and that was up in the Thermal area of Michigan where fertilizer and fuel oil you can get that stuff, you know, you know and um I don't want to use a brand name for a store, but in certain rural areas, there are certain stores that cater to the farm life. You can get things for your tractor. You can get things that you need on the farm. And both fertilizer and fuel oil are things that you can get there in an abundance. Right. And usually farmers buy this stuff in bulk because, well, they're trying to run a farm. Exactly. And it's just now because of that and post 9-11, obviously, you know, if you're buying too much of that stuff, you ping on certain government computers. But when Timothy McVeigh did that, yeah, he just bought all that stuff there. And I believe it was Decker, Michigan, which is in, for Michiganders, it's up in the thumb area. So it'd be about two hours north, northwest of my location. And just really easy to make if you know what to do. 
which that man did. So, yep. and just if, if you've ever seen the pictures of the the Edward R. Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma City, what happened? Mm-hmm. Yeah, take a look at those pictures, and you'll see what something of that type of makeup. Can, because it's a federal building, it would have been made to withstand a lot because you had FBI offices and whatnot there as well as just other government offices. They're not going to build a flimsy building for that. No. And then you just see the whole place just like, it's like somebody took an ice cream scoop and just scooped out of like a third of the building. Yeah, exactly. It's like Godzilla went over and just did two hands and went, scrape. Down and just 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 crumbled it, you know, like like you could do with your own with a, with a trowel with a uh, a sandcastle, you know, just just an unbelievable amount of and you know and it was over in a microsecond. Yeah, and as I said, my second wife's now late father. Yeah, he lived in Oklahoma City. He was there the day before, or no, I think he was there that day. He was in and out, and then it happened. So, of course, you know, my, my wife at the time is just freaking out because, oh, dad had to go pay taxes and all that. He was fine. But then that happened. And just, of course, all the phones were shut down and everything. But, yeah, that type of level of damage that can be done with something of a non-nuclear origin that can be made relatively quickly. Yeah, fringe teams, if you have anyone with a decent amount of chemistry on your team, they could do that. Yeah. And it would be like either craft, it'd be, you know, craft, uh, what that, using the OGL stuff here, knowledge, physical sciences, and craft chemical. Yeah. And that, you could do that and then just, oh, look, we have a problem. Send it through the portal. What's this strange round thing? Boom. Yeah. Well, uh, I, have an e- I have an even earlier reference, uh, uh, a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. Okay. Uh, for those of you who have not read this story by Samuel Jackson, uh, otherwise known as uh, Mark Twain. Uh, Samuel Clemens. 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 I'm sorry, Jackson. <laughs> no, that'd be a totally different story. It'd be a great story, but yeah. Well, actually, because uh, when he go- he appears in King Arthur's Court, his biggest threat is this guy named Merlin. And he realizes this guy is going to be a problem, so he goes and hits all the um, uh, manure piles and pits and things like that and gathers up some uh, nitri- uh, nitride crystals and things like that. Next thing you know, Merlin's tower's coming down. Yeah. With Merlin in it. From that point on, he's the wizard. Yep. There was, um, along these same lines, I'll try to keep it short. Have you ever read the Guardians of the Flame series by the late Joel Rosenberg? I have not, though I am familiar with it. Oh, okay. Um, Basically, a wizard from a realm becomes a college professor, has a bunch of students running a and d type game, and he basically merges them with the characters in the world. So you got the one computer science kid who has cerebral palsy is now a dwarven fighter. And so to revive one of their own... You need to give up something, and then we will cast the resurrection spell. An engineering student, Louis Riccelli, decides, yeah, I'm giving up going home. I can make these people lives so much better just with my engineering knowledge. And so he was there, and I mean, the the students who are now in these forms they had like this stronghold that they had and their main job, we're going to give up, we're going to, we're going to give up our lives and stop slavery in this world. Well, Louis Riccelli became known simply as the engineer. And he was just using all of his modern day science and technology knowledge to just turn this place into a paradise because they had running water. They had, you know, ways to make something of a refrigerant, you know, to keep stuff cool. And just so he used the modern science and technology at being a chemical engineering student to just turn this stronghold that these former college students had into just, you went there and you had all these new devices and gadgets and concepts for this medieval level 
technological society. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's just that, and we've done high tech versus low tech. Refer to that episode for more information on dealing with putting those cultures together. But yeah, once you mentioned that, that reminded me of that old series. Okay, but putting aside fuel air bombs and nukes and fertilizer bombs inside of trucks uh, are other options. And I'm not saying where you get this stuff. I'm just saying there are options, okay? So there's also nuclear dust, a dirty bomb. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's what that I always heard a dirty bomb, and I, I I knew it was bad, but I just didn't know exactly yeah. what it probably, Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. if you can't get your hands on the stuff that explodes, you can get your hands on, you might be able to get your hands on the stuff that makes people sick. I mean, to the point where they die within a day, and you explode that in larger quantities at a high, high enough over the city or whatever the area. It hits the jet stream and all that. Well, yeah, it just yeah. rains down, and yeah. people breathe it into their lungs, and, it, and they can't get it out. And it's like I say, it's just a matter of time before it's all over. It's just a matter of mopping it up, you know. And most things, even you know, um, you know, supernatural or whatever, are not immune to radiation. Uh, even um, uh, even electronic. Uh, like robots and things like that, uh, you know, these kinds of materials can cause uh, interference with them. It can can, uh, get inside their circuit. Okay, so not so much an EMP, but more just physically the grit. Well, it's... I'm just saying, this, these things are still radioactive. They're still throwing off photons, and they're throwing off electrons, and they're throwing off neutrons, okay? Okay, so they might be, in a way, sort of an electromagnetic pulse, in a way. Right, but I'm saying they're more like a, um, a nuclear acid, okay? They can still oh, oh, oh. yeah, they can still damage electronic gear, is what I'm Gosh. trying to tell you, okay? Not, you know, I mean, if, if things are made properly yeah but otherwise no but people of course you know they can't stand you know you get you get enough uh, ionizing material in you around you or whatever you're cooked you know it's not you, yeah and and not only are you cooked because of the damage you're cooked because now there's a hundred thousand million five in atlanta five million people okay who suddenly need major medical care from the medical providers they're not going to get hospitals it. are flooded. They're not going to be. Yeah. Well, first of all, what they find out it is. Yeah. They have to start calling in from other places. The CDC down there gets involved. Yeah. Yeah. But how are you going to protect those hospital personnel? That's true. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're, they're basically dying as this is going on too. You bring in people from the outside. They got to wear environmental suits. How many environmental suits are there in the United States? Okay. Yeah. I, it's, it's just one of those things where it's, you know, it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. And yeah. you may, and if you have people who are really, really important, you know, you might go in there and hope that they haven't gotten too bad a dose and get them out of there and give them that super high level um, of, of, of aid and care that they're going to need just to survive. But more likely they won't. Uh, so that's why radiation works. Uh, dust and that kind of thing works because again it's like you probably don't even realize it's happening because you know except for the explosions all these explosions yeah. what what does that mean and then you know the uh, uh, the fallout that fell on Nagasaki and Hiroshima came down as a white powder uh, and children thought it was sugar and were sticking their fingers oh. in it and licking it off their hands oh yeah yeah, so that's uh, it's it's a it's terrible. It's a terrible way to die, especially. I'd rather go out in the nuke part. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but then of course there's you know the the other ones. Any sufficiently large mass. Okay, and that's why I said you don't necessarily have to be in orbit. If you can teleport something the size of I don't know Mount Rushmore up you know up in the air and just drop it. That's, well, that's that was the whole point of the. Um, Age of Ultron. Age of Ultron, right, exactly. It was going to fall. It was going to go up and it was going to fall back down and it was just going to take out that part of the country. So, uh, yeah, but you but it's a lot easier 
to do it from orbit because you know there's an old saying which is once you know that I think Heinlein uh, coined that said once you're in orbit you're halfway to anywhere because you know you can go from there you can go out grab yourself a you know a, a 500,000 ton asteroid and just eat with with very little effort really you know push it you know in, into orbit around Earth and Drop it, you know. Oh, no, there are rules, and I have used these rules. Uh, Monty Cook Games some time ago. I mean, you know he's doing Tolis now, the Patolis, that city of... I think that's the name of the... No, 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 uh, and you you play it. Numenera. Okay. But back in the day, he had Monty Cook books, uh, Malhavoc Press, and there is a supplement called As the Sky Falls. Mm-hmm. And it's basically meteorite D20, where you can compute the damage of something, and they give you usually as a base a 30-foot object hitting in this area, what will happen. Okay. Where some of them, if it's big enough, you have nuclear winter going on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that would be a real good source for those of you doing Pathfinder to find as the sky falls from Mount Havoc Press. And you'll probably, you know... OneBookshelf.com probably has it. And just that would be a real good way if you wanted to do asteroid or any sufficiently large mass, you know, drop it from not even orbit, just, you know, maybe upper atmosphere and just the damage it would do. And you can do the math. And Yeah. yeah, I did the math for, what was it? It was like a 140 foot long starship. So I just did some math and use the formula that I, I think it's Bruce Cordell that does it. And I was just, you know, I laid it out on a map and I showed people cause it was in a game where it was on earth and I showed them and my players are just like, what? And they had me redo the math. We had to stop the game to redo the math. And they're like, okay, we trust your math, Trav. And they're like, Oh Lord. I said, yeah, this is what's going to happen when this thing lands because of the mass and the angle it's coming in. You're looking at, and this is in the mountain range. I mean, you're going to scour these mountains of any life. You might remove a mountain or two. So, yeah, it just, that would be a real good source if you're doing any OGL gaming to get that particular PDF. If you wanted to do, quote unquote, nuking it from orbit with some type of large mass, asteroid, what have you. And even gives rules for like if it's like a magical asteroid where not only are you dealing with the fallout and such any things due to the magical aura of said object. And I, I think it's like a thomata meteorite or something like that they call. But anyways, you can use this 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 publication for doing such a thing. Um so you had let's see next solar ejection or gamma ray burst. Yeah. Now, and also keep in mind the fact that this can be used by aliens against us. Yeah. Okay. So it doesn't just have to be a situation where you're trying to take out an alien incursion. This could be their primary attack against us. So yeah, solar ejection. Uh, when the sun gets upset, when it's like uh, it doesn't, you know, it, it gets unstable. Uh, one of the little tricks it does to settle itself down is to throw off its corona, this entire outer layer of it, and just throw it off in a direction. Okay. And and if that comes to us, well, it's the end of the earth because <laughs> it'll just fry us. It won't like turn okay. Earth into a cinder, but it would definitely uh, scorch, you know, everything on the planet. It could take out Jupiter or any of the other planets too, you know. So, uh, it, and they used um, uh, it was in a Star Trek Next Gen episode where they had a big chunk uh, uh, of Corona ejection was heading for a planet, and they the whole story of uh, episode was trying to figure out how to divert it so it wouldn't hit the planet. And Jordy finally figured out that well, our ship doesn't have enough power to pull it out of the way or push it out of the way, but it has enough to give it a really good push and then another and then another and then another. In other words, pulse it. And by doing that, he was able to either pull it or push it, you know, before you got to the point of no, you know, uh, no return. 
and uh, where it would then be able you know to, to divert past the planet and keep on going because it was gonna it, I mean it, it would just keep on going I, I I don't know if it was going to end up outside of the solar system entirely it had that much velocity I don't know but it was it was definitely uh, moving pretty fast and considering you know, it all took an episode just one single episode hour long to resolve it so yeah that happens okay uh, and we're not even talking about crazy stuff like quasars and other things that's a normal sun can can do that so if they have some means of let's say well if they just drop nukes into the sun that actually doesn't do much but i'm just saying is if aliens had some way of doing it uh or if you know you had some you know a mega level magic spell you know you summoned an angel and the angel says okay uh i'll i'll take care of it and they basically just pour something into the sun and you remember how in in, in uh, revelations they pour something to the sun and it turns to blood ah okay so people uh, you have beings with that kind of power they could very well create such a thing happening all right the uh, and the, you know and like I say we we and a gamma ray burst that's not something that could happen uh, in our sun uh, I, um, but there are other suns like new, uh, like neutron stars and things like that. If they uh, that they're giving off these bursts all the time, and if one of them happens to come in our direction, uh, it can it, it, again. If we got hit with it, it would just basically fry half the planet. It wouldn't fry the entire planet. Fry half the planet. The side that was at, at toward it, or yeah. whatever section of the planet it got a piece of it. So. Uh, you know, we have you know we have very minor, tiny projectors. You know of, of gamma rays. I'm now reminded of Justice League Doom. Yeah, the DC Universe movie where it was Vandal Savage doing that. Yeah, okay, right. So anyway, so uh, gamma ray burst would definitely, literally, nuke it from orbit. Gamma rays are so energetic they will punch through hundreds of feet of solid lead. They're like one level down from cosmic rays, which are the most energetic rays we, that, that exist. And, and by the way, they're hitting us all the time. <laughs> by the way. Oh, yeah, we have radiation other than ultraviolet coming down here. I mean, yeah. granted, we have, you know, I think the ozone layer, and despite the damage it's taken, it's still there. Right. Uh, what is, oh, God, there's something out there, I think. No, it's a layer of radiation around the planet. I'm blanking on the name. Van Allen Belt? Van Allen Belt, that's what it is. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So we've got radiation surrounding the planet. Yeah, well, that radiation is also keeping us protected from the solar wind from the sun. Yeah. Which is full of particles, too. So it's actually a good thing, even though yeah. if you go through it, it causes you to get irradiated. And that was one of the things I heard about why we never, you know, the, all, all of the people out there with the belief of the moon landing was fake. And they throw, well, the Van Allen, we can't shield ourselves enough to get through the Van Allen belt to get out into space. So, yeah, they, and it's like, oh, you're using science to prove this science. We're, I'm not trying to crap on anybody's beliefs or what they, you know, I do acknowledge them, but just like, come on. And so the Van Allen belt, yeah, so we have radiation constantly coming down, but the Earth has ways of protecting us in one way or another from... The really bad stuff. Right. Well, it's not an even uh, shield around the planet either. It's a belt, like it says. So yeah. you could you could launch a vehicle that doesn't go through the belt, goes around it. So, yeah. yeah, it, it happens. Um, okay, so moving on to the next one, Ice Lens. Okay. There is a book called... I. Uh, is it called Rings of Ice? I think it was, I'm not sure it was by Hal Clement or whatever. And the idea was is that we were going to try to bring in um, all these asteroids and form these rings of ice and turn it into a giant like Fresnel lens and, and concentrate the suns in certain areas to 
you know, um, uh, especially the north, like northern Canada and places like that, and basically increase the growing there, so more land would be arable and stuff like that. You know, we're, we're not we weren't they, they weren't worrying about greenhouse gases and global warming and, and, and when they were writing these stories that that idea hadn't even occurred. It was like this could be this would be great. Well, something happens and it and it doesn't work out like it's supposed to, and all those rings start basically coming into the atmosphere and it starts raining for half a year and floods out the entire world. But the concept was is that you could go and use this material that's in space, you know, these asteroids that are mostly made out of ice, and form them into these rings that could then be used as lenses to focus, you know, I mean, we're talking lenses that are hundreds if not, you know, hundreds of miles across. So Giant, pr giant prisms. Yeah, and basically focus okay. it in, in a, uh, carefully in a specific area. Of course, this could also be used as a weapon. Yes. You know? and, uh, and, and, that's what, and that's how we're thinking about it right here, where if you had something like this, you could focus it and just literally take out of town. It's like, folks, and I know a lot of you did this as kids, you had the magnifying glass and you might have burned a leaf or an ant or whatever, or a stick, and yeah, much grander scale. You know, and the whole point of Fresnel lenses is that you have rings, and the rings work with each other to reinforce moving it closer and closer into a more to a point. So, and the and the reason that they did that was because to make a lens thick enough to be able to do it as a single lens would have been prohibited. It would not have worked. the The lens would not have formed properly. But by using this ring concept, they were able to get much more effective focusing of the light and they they use it in theaters and things like that for now lenses are are, are commonly used in theaters uh, so this idea of doing it and using it as an attack is you know or you know into even aiming it into let's say an array of solar panels where you end up getting like five times the amount of sunlight you normally would get and so you get five times the efficiency of your solar array so uh the, you know this this was the concept but again it could be used as uh, a a weapon all right yes so now uh and that's that's the ice list now you can go the opposite direction but it's uh, it's not what you it's not the flashbang of, of of a of a nuke it's the slow death of you know of, of the other side of you know a manufactured nuclear winner from what i'm reading here exactly so what we have here is some kind of solar shield that will cause darkness and therefore if no light reaches the planet then the planet very quickly cools plants you know plants stop producing oxygen within a month or so air is getting a little bit hard to breathe within a year there's no free oxygen left and not you know the, every everything is you know way below zero. Well, of course, and, you also deal with food problems because if the plants die, animals don't eat. That affects the food chain that way too. Yeah. Well, everything goes. You know. Yeah. yeah. And um, so uh, and it's and there's a couple ways of doing it. Um, one is to create a. Uh, uh, I've seen it done as a dust cloud, uh, and that was usually where it was accidental. But there's another story called, uh, I think it's called Solar Strike, where this guy basically just has this tiny, this, well, you, you've heard of the concept of a solar sail, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, imagine a solar sail, uh, but it's, it's completely black. And you put it between the Earth and the Sun, and it's, say, uh, well, you know, it's, it's, 16,000 miles across. Okay? In space, you can do that because there's no gravity and stuff. You, what you'd probably end up doing is having some kind of a, um, a rocket that goes in opposite directions to kind of flatten it out so it stays in that nice disk shape. And just as the, uh, as the moon can block the sun, you know, you could also do the same thing to block the light coming to the Earth. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, it only has to be like say sixteen thousand miles wide, which sounds ridiculously large, but you know, it's not beyond the realm of our present day science. It's just nobody's willing to spend the trillions of dollars to, yeah. s to set it up. Okay, but if we had something that was basically like the gray goo, and let's say it was it, it required a, a light, uh, what did they did in um, 
the Matrix. We don't know who shot the first shot, but we're the ones who burned the sky. Yep. So, same kind of concept. They tried to stop the uh, the robots by doing that. This Because they were solar-powered, and so they blocked out the sun, and that's when... The humans, they, they started tapping into the humans and finding out about bioelectricity and yeah, body and, heat. And a, and a form of fusion, yes, that they discovered. So, anyways, um, you know, so again, you'd have to make adjustments. It, wouldn't, it couldn't be like something you just threw out there and didn't have to deal with it anymore. Um, if by some, uh, but it, it would have to be an active, uh, offensive type device. Because the the pressure from the, the light, the photon pressure from the sun hitting you know something that's you know sixteen thousand miles wide is going to be real pressure you know when you add it all up, just like a solar sail would be. So uh, you'd have to do something to kind of push in the opposite direction. But you know ion drives would work. You know you'd have to make it oh, yeah. out of bucky tubes and bucky fabric or whatever like that to do it. But like I said, I, I it's it's doable. It just would take trillions and trillions of dollars to mount such an uh, such an action. So yeah, um, just for for scale here, and I looked it up on my phone. Okay, you said you'd need something sixteen thousand miles wide. Yeah, because that's the diameter of the Earth. I'm looking here. The diameter says seven thousand nine seventy nine seventeen point five miles. That's the radius. That says your diameter. All right. So, anyways, that that distance, you know, the the diameter of the Earth. That's that's how you need to be a little bit bigger than that because it's going to be at some distance away from the planet. Yeah, but mostly you have to have that, and so I mean it's it's a huge amount of stuff, but it's doable if, if especially since you're working in zero gravity. Yes. So, just you know, it's just one of those things where somebody could be doing that right this minute, and we would not realize it until they do, you know, because that's what happened in the book. Because all of a sudden the sun just kind of went. You know, got dim and that it disappeared, and nobody knew what happened. Until <laughs> until somebody actually, and nobody until somebody actually set a rocket up to find out, and and uh, they and and when they did, they they found that this was going on, and uh, by the end of the book, they were able to stop them. But it uh, in the meantime, like a month had gone by, so pretty devastating. Yeah. So, and if you have like a a, a threat that's that's any way temperature dependent, you know, it's, you know, humans are really good about surviving in adverse conditions. There's yes. a lot of creatures out there that are really hothouse, you know, conquerors. You know, <laughs> if you think about some of the movies that has happened and, you know, like the, the, uh, the, the Martians and they get taken out by viruses and, yeah. you know, and other, other ones where they, you know, uh, uh, basically pure water takes them out. You know, it's, uh, you know, he makes a big deal about the fact it's tap water, but, you know, I think it was more the fact is it was probably pure water. You know, they might have been okay with, like, salt water, but maybe yeah. they just didn't quite realize how available pure water would be. Anyways, I'm not going to get into that argument. That was, that was kind of silly, but it was there. What you had said about humans and adaptability. Yeah. I'll, I, I usually say this in my games like if they're dealing with aliens and whatnot, and I said, we humans do two things very well. Adapt to extreme conditions. And they go, what's the other? And it was in the context of the game as far as this alien threat that was there, and they were, you know, they were looking like they were going to cause problems. And I said, we humans, if we don't understand or like something, we find new and interesting ways to obliterate it. We do it to each other. Mm -hmm. We practice on each, on each other. Right. We don't like something about another part of humanity. We will do our best to wipe them out. You're an alien. We know nothing about you. Take that into account before you do anything. And, you know, just, they're like, okay. You know. Be nice <laughs> to us. Do things we do well. Adapt and destroy what we don't like or understand. That's right. Yeah. Make sure you make your eyes really big and uh, and put on fur. Fur's good. <laughs> No sharp teeth, though. No sharp teeth. Yeah, yeah. Well, you never show your sign of teeth in your mouth. Sign of aggression. Come on. Uh, <laughs> Except we do it to each other. Well, yeah, again. Yeah. Which is weird. This is Bruce Sheffer saying 
There are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.